count of three, name your favorite dinosaur. Don't even think about it. Just name it. Ready? One, two, three. Velociraptor. What? Did we just become best friends? Yup. It's time for another episode of the Wooth and Why Show. We Hello and welcome to another episode of the Woot and Y Show. I am Josh Y, and I'm joined by a guy that's not named Josh. He doesn't have the surname Woot, or as many may not know, Wooten is the proper pronunciation of Woot's surname. It's a regular friend of the show and, and prone to a bold prediction, Scott Langford. How you going, buddy? I'm really well. Thanks for having me on. You've taken one Eagles fan out and you've just replaced him with another. So, seamless. It's just like subbing out Tom Brady and putting Matt Castle in. Just a seamless effort in the system. Exactly right. Yeah. Assist Tom Brady. I'm, uh, it's, it's, it's just taking shots at Tom Brady week for me at the moment. The, apart from the Halloween avocado outfit, um, the TB12 method article on ESPN that reads like an absolute con job. Um, like a, a pyramid scheme of some sorts. Um, it's been a, it's been a fill up this week. It's conspiracy theorist, uh, dream, isn't it? It is. Pats fans everywhere are going to be ropeable. Yeah. But I could not care less. No. The Eagles, no. the Eagles are sitting, uh, very pretty and we're going to, you know, we are at the mid-season review. So week eight, week nine is kind of the mid-season. A few teams have played half the required games. A few haven't. Yet, so we're splitting sort of our uh, halfway mid-season reviews sort of into two. So this episode, we're going to uh, just talk about the first half of the season overall, hand out some awards, um, and then talk about some updated division winners and the like. And then next week, uh, Woot and I, hopefully Woot can uh, rejoin us. Um, it's not a guarantee. He's been under the pump. Um, if only we could get some sponsors that could pay us enough that we don't have to actually work full-time, that would be great. Um, but he's under the pump at the moment, so uh, you might have to double down again next week, Scott, um, after a possible Eagles win, but uh, we'll uh, name our All-Pro teams next week. Uh, eliminated Challenge, still four left in the Eliminated Challenge. Everyone that was uh, alive uh, picked correctly last week. 11 out of 12 favorites won. So, oh, no, sorry, 12 out of 13 favorites won. Last week, uh, a reminder as well, iTunes reviews. If you leave us an iTunes review, please, if you leave us a review this year, in 2017, you go into the draw to win signed merchandise um, up to $300. So we're not talking gold-plated Dan Marino signed helmet or anything like that. But please leave us a five-star review on iTunes. It'll help us um, build the show and build our audience. Uh, Scott, favorite thing from week uh, week eight, sorry. I've got week seven written down, but we're at week eight. What was your uh, favorite thing from, from week eight? I didn't actually see too much of week eight compared to other weeks, but I think my favorite thing, and you've alluded to it uh, in one of the uh, dot points, is I really like the cojones on Deshaun Watson to take on the Legion of Boom last week. That was maturity and just reckless abandon to not take a, a backward step against a really good defensive uh, unit uh, and it nearly paid extreme dividends. They, they really should have won that game. So I, I loved the way that uh, Deshaun played, not just the fact that he was scoring touchdowns, but the yep. fact that he, yeah, I, I love a good onion hanger, and that was an onion hanger of a, a quarterback effort. 
Yeah, two things. If only Bill O'Brien trusted Deshaun Watson to close out a game instead of, uh, uh, you know, calling petty run plays, they would have beaten the Pats in Foxborough and they would have beaten the Seahawks in Seattle and we'd be talking about a totally different state of the AFC right now as the Texans would be 5-2. and two. And the second thing is um, the Cajones and Watson. Uh, to what he did in Seattle, when you see what he did against Alabama in the national championship game, it kind of doesn't seem that far-fetched. But even then, seeing it live during the game, you're still so shocked at the Cajones on him to just launch deep and take on Sherman early. And, like, he's just... His evasion in the pocket, it was very Russell Wilson-esque. And obviously... Russ outdueled him, but definitely a, a highlight. I think it was probably the game of the season. Absolutely. I haven't thought of too many games this year that have had me that gripped. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing from week eight was, as I lose my voice for some reason, give me a second. It was Chuck Pagano. Um, his challenge, uh, I don't know if you saw this, Scott, but he challenged a play and started celebrating that he'd won indeed won the challenge and was getting very animated and excited that he'd finally, after so many unsuccessful challenges, finally won a challenge. But in the challenge, this is the stupidity of the man. He actually, it was actually deemed not a catch to begin with. And then, so he ruled that, um, that it was a, there was a catch and a fumble recovery by the Colts. But what they did in their challenge was they established, yes, it was a fumble and it was recovered by the Colts, but the Colt was stepping out of bounds so instead of it being third and ten, it was actually a first down to the Bengals. That is Chuck Pagano's career. That's no, it is. And <laughs> if if you told me that story, and I I know the player you're talking about, but if you told me that story without naming specifics of teams or, or coaches' names, that would have been ripped straight from Cleveland, Ohio. Surely the fact that it somehow got its way across the borders uh, into Indianapolis. That's extraordinary. Yeah. That man's uh, that man's luck, so to speak. We need to call the uh, center of disease and get that uh, get that clo- enclosed that before stank, it spreads. It stank has just it's crossing, blanketed over. It's crossing county lines and state lines. Uh, <laughs> stop the infection. Um, anyway, we talked about the Houston-Seattle um, game possibly being the game of the year, and... Uh, We'll wait and see with the round reviews whether it did live up to expectation. Week 8, Miami Dolphins at Baltimore Ravens, starring Alex Collins, Jimmy Smith, Dominican Sue, and an adorable little cat. Be careful what you wish more, Miami. Matt Moore and the Miami Dolphins laid an egg as Alex Phil Collins was not only feeling it in the air tonight, but on the ground as well. William Hayes got up close and personal with a one-eyed Raven before the Donkey Kong Sue chokeslammed Ryan Mallett in true NFL fashion while all the chaos and violence was being thrown down. Looky over here, a sweet, adorable little kitten. Oh, how cute. What was the score again? Ravens win 40 to nil. Rewatchability score 30%. Minnesota Vikings at Cleveland Browns, starring Jerick McKinnon, Harrison Smith, Adam Thielen, and Isaiah Crowell. 
The psychedelic funk group known as Keenum and Kai got the job done in Twickers as Adam Thielen channeled his inner his inner bandit-like Odell Beckham with a soccer celebration after finding the end zone for the first time this season and outside the continental United States. The Browns' second-half implosion ensure the Vikings extend their reign on the north. Kings of the north. Vikings win 33-16. Rewatchability score, 27%. Los Angeles Chargers at New England Patriots starring Tom Brady, Rex Burkhead, Melvin Gordon and Joey Bosa. What the hell were you thinking, Travis Benjamin? Patriots win 21-13. Rewatchability score, 56%. Chicago Bears at New Orleans Saints starring Marshawn Lattimore, Sheldon Rankins, Adrian Amos, and Zach Miller. Don't look at Zach Miller's leg. 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 Oh, dear God. How could you take that touchdown away from him? What is a catch, you monsters? Saints win 20-12. to Rewatchability score, 33%. Oh, Zach Miller's leg. Carolina Panthers at Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Starring Luke Keekley, Julius Peppers, Christian McCaffrey, and Levante David. There isn't much to say about this incredibly dull affair, except that Julius Peppers is as hot as ever. Jabril has an incredible journey ahead of him if he ever wants to pass Julius on our own personal Peppers power rankings. This game was a tougher watch than Mike Smith on Hard Knocks. Panthers win 17-3, rewatchability score 17%. Indianapolis Colts at Cincinnati Bengals, starring Geno Atkins, Carlos Dunlap, Marlon Mack, and Jack Doyle. We hope the Bengals fans had their volleys strapped on when Carlos Dunlap took them on a wild ride with a freakish pick six to seal the game in the fourth quarter for the Bengals. Big thank you to Jim Irsay for not firing Chuck Pagano yet as he produced one of the best moments of the season. Pagano celebrated a coach's challenge win halfway through the referee's explanation of said challenge, only for him to be told moments later that his challenge actually resulted in them not getting possession and it actually helped the Bengals. (laughs) Chuck Pagano, comedy gold. Bengals win 24-23, rewatchability score 68%. Oakland Raiders at Buffalo Bills, starring Micah Hyde, Andre Holmes, Tredavis White, and Rodney Hudson. The Andre Holmes revenge game featured the best uniform matchup of the season, the sleek Bills all white up against the Raiders all black. If only the play was as as aesthetically pleasing. We spent the entire offseason asking if the Raiders were for real or not, and we spent the last four weeks asking the same about the Bills. This was more than an Andre Holmes revenge game. This was a loser is not for real matchup. The Raiders are not for real. The Bills are for real. For now. Bills win 34-14. Rewatchability score 52%. San Francisco 49ers at Philadelphia Eagles starring Jalen Mills, Jason Kelsey, Alson Jeffrey and Akello Witherspoon. Even with the rain bogging down the Wentz wagon a little bit, the Eagles managed to produce two electrifying touchdowns on their way to a comprehensive victory, Jalen Thrills Mills had one of the pick sixes of the season, evading 49-49ers on his way to the end zone. Alson Jeffrey had two, a to-and-fro battle with rookie Akello Witherspoon, but managed to get the better of him on a dazzling 50-50 ball that went for six. Eagles win 33-10, rewatchability score 53%. Atlanta Falcons at New York Jets, starring Matt Ryan, Dontari Poe, Leonard Williams and Muhammad Wilkinson. In a soggy affair, Matty Ice struggled in Ice's purest form with a trio of fumbles, but managed to rally in the second half by discovering that Julio Jones does indeed still play for this team. Jeremy Curley lived up to his surname by 
by failing to play straight on a special teams with a snap foo that had Jets screaming F you. The Big Jets plane fails to land after yet another fantastic takeoff. Falcons come from behind, 25-20. Rewatchability score, 47%. Houston Texans at Seattle Seahawks, starring Deshaun Watson, DeAndre Hopkins, Russell Wilson, Paul Richardson. Where do we start with this epic? Do we start with the nearly 900 passing yards, the 79 points, the 8 passing touchdowns, the 13.4 and 11.0 yards per attempt by Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson? Do we mention that all Will Fuller does is catch touchdowns? Take your pick, but we'll finish the incredible final drive. We'll finish with the incredible final drive that included a stunning catch from Paul Richardson and Wrench. We're talking real real estate. Seattle win 41 to 38. Rewatchability score the highest of the season, 93%. Dallas Cowboys at Washington Redskins, starring Ezekiel Elliott, Sean Lee, Demarcus Lawrence, Jamison Crowder. If the Washington Redskins had a pool room, Ryan Kerrigan would belong in it. Ryan overtook Darrell in our Kerrigan power rankings with a dominant first-half performance, but it wasn't enough as Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott gathered all of God's creatures onto Noah's Ark faster than Kirk Cousins and Jamison Crowder could at the flooded FedEx field. In doing so, they led the Cowboys to safety, and more importantly, to get the W. Cowboys win 33-19, rewatchability score 63%. Pittsburgh Steelers at Detroit Lions, starring Juju Smith-Schuster, Marvin Jones, Javon Hargrave, and Darius Slay. Juju on that beat. Juju on that beat. Juju on that beat for a 97-yard touchdown. The 20-year-old dazzled. It was a da- had a dazzling display on his way to a 97-yard touchdown to destroy the Detroit Lions. It's a big week for the 20-year-old human. Not only does he have his bike in national headlines, but he managed to benched known alien specimen Martavis Bryant, turned down Mia Khalifa, and become a global superstar. What a week for a man named Juju. Steelers win 20-15, rewatchability score 75%. Denver Broncos at Kansas City Chiefs, starring Travis Kelsey, Justin Houston, Von Miller, and Shaq Barrett. John Elway and the Broncos front office better have their fax machines ready as Travis Kelsey has officially signed his ownership papers. Travis Kelsey... Owns the Denver Broncos. I wonder who he'll start at quarterback next week for his now-beloved Broncos. Trevor Simeon? More like Trevor Simeoff, am I right? Chiefs win 29-19. Rewatchability score, 64%. Talking tidbits. Should call this segment Talking Trades, and that's what we're going to do this week. Uh... Scott, there was a lot of trades. Probably, would you say it's the best trade deadline um, ever? I can't remember too many high-profile trade periods like this. Normally, you get one or two in a blue moon. Uh, the Percy Harvin trade to Seattle a few years back. Marshawn Lynch was another one. Yeah, but yeah, you, know, you normally get one every now and then to have you know a handful, three or four major pieces move teams. It was ridiculous to see the amount of movement. Yeah, and we'll start with uh, the Seahawks acquiring Dwayne Brown and a 2018 fifth-round pick from the Texans in exchange for a 2018 third-rounder and a 2019 second-round pick. Originally, uh, Jeremy Lane was involved in the, tra- uh, in the trade, but he failed a, uh, a fitness test and, and uh, was unable to be traded, so they uh, they worked things out and flipped it around. But um, it's very, very strange to see a team trade with each other less than 24 hours after playing each other. 
Um, I would love to have seen them trade at halftime and see Dwayne Brown run out with the, with the Seahawks jersey for the second half. That would have been just would have broken the internet. Um, but I, I love the trade. It's probably my favorite acquisition um, in terms of uh, helping a team and making a huge difference this season. Um, I think Dwayne Brown is going to give the Tex uh, the Seahawks sorry um, just so much help, especially on the ground and immediate impact in their run game, which was atrocious last week, but he's going to be... They actually have a proper tackle who played tackle in college um, protecting Russell Wilson for the first time in a long time. Yeah, I thought it was a fantastic trade as well. Obviously, Dwayne Brown was probably the the hottest name uh, on the trade rumor mill. Uh, That seven-game holdout, you just had that feeling that the Texans were just willing to get rid of him at whatever price. And it just so happens that Seattle was probably desperate enough uh, at that position to to really give uh, Houston, you know, adequate compensation for him. Yep. Um, it's kind of funny. We'll get to this with a later trade. I actually thought Dwayne Brown might have ended up at Philadelphia. That might yep. have been um, much more of a fit. But the Seahawks have done the same thing uh, as Philadelphia would have done with a Dwayne Brown prick. And that's essentially making sure that they're ready to go on a Super Bowl run uh, and fixing up a very big hole. So, yeah, amazing trade. Wouldn't be surprised if... Uh, both GMs were together in the owner's box uh, at CenturyLink on Sunday, just getting the finer points uh, out of the way before the deadline. Yeah, and I definitely think it, it wasn't giving up too much because I think Dwayne Brown's probably got two years left in him. So I know it was a 2018 third rounder and a 2019 second rounder, but they'll probably draft his replacement in one of those years and have him sit behind Dwayne Brown. I think um, if they can get, get at least one more, like a full season out of him next year, I think... He'll be better than what you could probably get as a from a second an, an ordinary second round pick or a third rounder. Plus, you have to remember they did trade back a few times uh, this this draft this year, so they have a few later round picks that they normally hit on um, anyway. So I think uh, I think they didn't spend too much. Yeah, Schneider and Carroll know what they're doing uh, draft wise, and you know second round pick for some teams might seem like fairly big capital, but for them. Uh, you know, they're, they're trying to win Super Bowls. They're not trying to win in May or in April. They're trying to win in in February. So yep. um, I don't think they're going to be too concerned with the, the compensation they've handed over. Definitely. Uh, the other trade sort of just before deadline day was the 49ers acquiring quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots in exchange for a 2018 second-round pick. Given the 49ers record, we're looking at a top 35 pick. Um, 35 being the absolute floor, I'd imagine, unless Jimmy Garoppolo is as advertised and, and leads a few uh, wins later on in the season, but he's not a guarantee to play, according to Kyle Shanahan, but I call BS on that. Um, but anyway, so the uh, Kyle Shanahan finally gets a quarterback after seeing CJ Bethard and, and what he doesn't bring to the table um, and what Brian Hoyer doesn't bring to the table in San Fran this year. So they uh, they ring up the, the Pats, and the Pats, possibly, I'm not sure what their thinking is. Maybe they've seen... Enough out of Brady to believe the the TB12 method and the and the avocado ice cream that he can play another couple of years and they're they're content with that, but it does seem like a little bit of a risk for the Pats given that we certainly we've seen it with Peyton Manning we saw it with with many older quarterbacks that cliff when it comes it comes. Yeah, I mean the Iranian NFL podcast guy said it. You know the Patriots are a rolled ankle away from their season um, going up in flames if Brady misses extended period of time doesn't necessarily have to be a horrific injury. It can be something that just holds him out and hampers him. And yeah, they, they must think that he's ready to go for the next five years because, you know, Garoppolo was there in waiting. They drafted him strategically 
uh, to be the heir to the throne. Um, moving it on, um, you know, they were willing to do it in the off-season for a certain price, and they seem to have settled for a lot less than they would have got from a team like the Browns or someone else over the off-season. So I'm calling this a rare loss for the Pats. I think this is going to be something that might come back to haunt them, and you know, if they were going to get rid of Garoppolo, they probably could have got a lot more draft capital out of it uh, had they just done it, you know, what, four months ago. So interesting one. Uh, I think San Fran is in good place. Realistically, you think they'd have to give Garoppolo an extension. This is a not, not going to be something that uh, they'll just sit on for the next 18 months. Um, they'll give them the opportunity to, to be their, their go-to guy for the next 10 years, you would think. Jimmy seems to think that he is willing and ready to go and play the starting position. Uh, allegedly, the Pats were willing to give him starter money to be a backup. Um, so it's good to see that he's got that internal drive to say, you know what, I'm not going to sit behind uh, Jimmy G. I know, so I'm not going to sit behind Tom Brady for the next five years and, and get coined. I'm going to see if I've actually uh, got what it takes to earn my worth. And yeah, with, with a really good franchise, John Lynch, this is a really good move for him. I, I like this trade. Yeah, I few things um the the rolled ankle thing for for Brady um I don't know if you read this ESPN fluff piece on the TB12 method but he fully believes that the way that he's hydrated and what he eats that he can fully absorb like and I'm quoting this here where are we that he can um absorb any hit and his body can soften my brain is thinking only lengthen and soften and disperse before my body absorbs and disperses the impact evenly, and I hit the ground. And he also said that Aaron Rodgers, that if he got hit that way, he wouldn't have fractured his collarbone. So the man's invincible, and I think Bill Belichick believes that as well, uh, buys into that little bit. But for me, like, it's weird because it was it was two things. Like, obviously, Jimmy Garoppolo wants to play, right? He wants to play football. Like, he's sick of being a backup. He wants to play on the field. Exactly, yeah. So his contract was coming up at the end of the year. So for two things, it was either... New England can't sign him or someone offers Jimmy a lot of money and he just leaves and New England end up with nothing out of the whole thing. They they lose their backup. They're stuck with Tom 40-year-old Tom Brady and nothing else, right? Or they, they end up signing Jimmy Garoppolo and they probably have to pay him more than what Brady's on anyway and you're paying your backup more than your starter and then you're hamstrung, hamstringing your, your team because you've got most of your money locked up in your backup and starting quarterbacks. So it was a really interesting situation. But then again, like... What's stopping Jimmy from not signing for the 49ers in three months if Brady retires and then he rejoins the Pats? Oh, it's an interesting one. Um, you know, going back to this TB12 method, I certainly understand if he wants to have his values and ethos. I'm not going to tell a man what to believe, but there's a simple thing called science and logic. Yeah. Uh, and there's also a simple thing called Bernard Pollard. Uh, diving into your ACL. <laughs> you weren't yeah. invincible that day. Yeah, so, tell, tell uh, Zach Miller that your body can absorb every single hit. Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, it's just, it, it is madness. And it is does leave them open, but they did sign Hoyer today. And, I mean, they won 11 games with Matt Castle. So, Brian yeah. Hoyer is not the worst backup in New England system. Absolutely not. And, and we've uh, said this uh, amongst friends plenty of times that, yeah, we're firm believers that the success of the New England Patriots, whilst Tom Brady is definitely a very important cog and a talented player, uh, he's not the be-all end-all. Bill Belichick can win with quarterbacks. Case in point, Matt Castle, Jacoby Brissett, uh, and Jimmy G have enjoyed success um, yeah. essentially piloting a system, um, not to say it's QB-proof, but piloting a system that is able to absorb uh, not having Tom Brady. So. Yeah. 
Yeah, it'd be an interesting one. Um, I think fans are going to be watching Jimmy G very closely just to see um, how this all rolls out and whether or not Bill Belichick has has pulled another uh, another stunt on the the whole NFL. Yeah, it is it is crazy. They are fourteen and five without Tom Brady um, in their in their lineup, um, but that's obviously when they've had a much better defense and part of that system is good defense and good special teams and they've got good special teams but their defense is obviously struggling um a little bit so whether that could have the same sustained success and get the w's is is a totally different thing um one last point on that it is kind of weird voodoo magic where it's like we'll trade you our backup quarterback for a second round pick and then we'll sign your starter who you've just released and put him in put him as our backup like when you step back and look at that from a hole and you remove the teams and just have team one and team two, it does sound pretty whack. It does sound pretty whack, but uh, we obviously know what Brian Hoyer is or isn't capable of. Uh, He wasn't going to be the long-term answer in San Francisco. So essentially what they've traded for uh, is continuity down the line rather than having a a merry-go-round of quarterbacks going forward. Yep, and the the Pats will draft their replacement either this year or next year for... Absolutely, they will, yeah. All right, uh, moving on to your Eagles. They acquired Jay Ajayi from the Dolphins in exchange for a fourth-round pick. Um, while it looks, you know, a little bit weird on the surface, Adam Gase, um, he kind of took a shot at Jay Ajayi after their loss to the Ravens. I don't know why, though, because he seemed to be getting tackled one or two yards behind the line of scrimmage nearly every play. Every one-yard gain or two-yard gain was essentially a four- or five-yard gain for Ajayi in Miami. Um, now he's in Philly behind what's one of the best interior offensive lines in the NFL, and the Eagles only gave a fourth-round pick for it. And initially I wasn't... I was a bit confused what the Eagles were doing because I thought, look, I'm not a huge Blount believer, but it's been working the rotation with Smallwood and Blount and Corey Clements. It's it's fine. I thought left tackle was a, a much bigger need, obviously, and you mentioned Dwayne Brown before. But I think if you do have a good running back like a Jay Ajayi and a difference maker who's great in pass protection as well, he can make up for that left tackle loss as well and providing balance because you want to keep you don't want Wentz dropping back forty times a game as good as he has been. You want some more balance um, in the playoffs because it's going to help you uh, be a more uh, even team on the field. Yeah, there's a few things I'll get to on this. Obviously, I've followed this trade fairly closely. Just on the surface of it, when you look at the trade, Jai uh, for a first round pick. Um, probably the snap reaction is, "Wow, what great value for the Eagles!" And I probably still feel that way. Uh, the pessimist in me probably thinks, well, why is he available for a fourth? Uh, that seems to be a very low uh, selling price for Miami. But as you mentioned, there might have been a little bit of friction there in the locker room with the coaching staff. Ajayi, uh, a bit disgruntled. Um, Long-term people, concerns over the knee. Yeah, well, some people do have concerns over the knee. It's obviously there. Uh, it's always going to be an elephant in the room when talking about Ajayi. But in saying that, we were having these same conversations when he was coming out in the draft. And we really haven't seen him miss too much time uh, with chronic knee injuries. That might have hampered him a little bit. Um, you know, looking at the last two years, uh, the top three players in broken tackles, sorry, running backs for forced missed tackles. One of them is Le'Veon Bell. He ranks second. Jay Ajayi is first. LeGarrette Blount is third. So the Eagles <laughs> now have some very elusive runners, including, believe it or not, this year, LeGarrette Blount. Uh, I believe he's about second or third uh, in average yards after contact. Uh, and he's uh, probably, I think, about in the top two or three for also most missed tackles so far this year. So everyone sort of thinks of LeGarrette Brown as, uh, sorry, LeGarrette Blount uh, as that power runner, Did that I goal line back. 
just to make those short yardage runs. But yeah, surprisingly, Blount has been quite elusive and the Eagles run game uh, being fourth in the league. I mentioned before with the Dwayne Brown trade, I would have actually thought that if you told me uh, at the start of the trade period that Jai is going to be traded and Dwayne Brown is going to be traded and the two trading teams are going to be the Eagles and the Seahawks, I would have thought that Ajayi would have gone to the Seahawks given their need for a runner uh, and Brown would be an Eagle. But funny, it's it's uh, exact opposite flipped. Yep. Um, <laughs> I, I really like this trade though. Uh, it tells me one thing, uh, even though... Uh, the Eagles haven't had a great deal of success really since the Andy Reid era 2004 with McNabb and T.O. on that. These guys are willing to win. These guys, um, without being too ahead of themselves, these guys know that they've got a window. Uh, there's no Aaron Rodgers in the NFC this year or anymore. Um, you know, obviously no Zeke, which we'll get to. The Eagles see a window uh, yeah. and they've made a move. They knew they couldn't get Dwayne Brown, so they said, okay, what's the next best thing? Let's get another uh, featured back to... To be part of that committee, uh, his run blocking, uh, sorry, his, uh, his pass blocking ability uh, obviously serves as well. And I, I'm really inclined to see if they if they put him out or how much they put him out this week against Denver. Um, and then they've got the buy. So I'm actually thinking we'll see a lot more of a Jai from uh, week 11 onwards. Definitely. Uh, those, la- those last seven games. So give him a couple of weeks to learn the system. Um, you know, don't rely on him too much. Have the buy. Uh, and then we come out of the bye against Dallas, and uh, you know it'll be on prime time. Jay Jay, away we go. Away uh, we go. Yeah, mention that fourteen point one percent to win the Super Bowl according to the DVOA playoff report um, with our friends over at Football Outsiders. So definitely a window there without Aaron Rodgers in the NSC. And the last uh, little trade was Bills acquiring Kelvin Benjamin from the Panthers in exchange for a twenty eighteen third and seventh round pick. So the Bills. They uh, obviously traded back and acquired some extra picks a few times in the draft, and they've slung a few of those picks to the Panthers for Kelvin Benjamin. Obviously, Sean McDermott and Brendan Bean are very familiar with Kelvin Benjamin. They were in the front office when Benjamin was the number 28 overall pick in the 2014 draft. Obviously, the new um, Panthers regime, which was once the previous Panthers regime, Marty Herney um, obviously didn't see Benjamin as a... uh, as part of this team going forward, and, and they've come to terms. It's an interesting acquisition for me. Like, I just think, why would you trade for a slower version, of an older version of of Sammy Watkins? Yeah, I thought the same thing. I, I, the first thing I thought of when I saw this trade was, what was the whole point of trading Sammy Watkins? You could have Sammy Watkins. You probably wouldn't have Jordan Matthews, I guess. Uh, and you'd still have Ronald Darby on your team. Yeah. Uh, you know, a fantastic corner who, you know, obviously we've only seen him for a half of football this year, but, you know, what we've seen of him in the past is, is obviously huge. So, yeah, it's a mind-boggling one because I don't think either team really comes out as the winner. Um, I think the real winner is not really a team. I think the real winner might be uh, fans and fantasy owners of, of Christian McCaffrey because finally we might actually see, um, you know, they've really only got Devin Funches as a, a wide receiver threat. Uh, McCaffrey might see a little bit more of the ball line out, yeah. but uh, wide receiver a little bit more. And um, yeah, he's on pace for a hundred reception season as it is. So we yeah. might see that spike a little bit. Um, he might potentially go close to leading the league in receptions. Um, if <laughs> if Carolina crazy. can get, if Carolina can get their head straight and realize what a weapon he's been, he's obviously not their running back. Um, you know, his, his ability not this year anyway, I think if he bulks, not. I think he, I think he can bulk up and still be a running back in the, in the league, but I think his best, asset this year is just being a uh, slot receiver and, and in split back formations and, and, and the like. 
Yeah, but unless they trust Curtis Samuel or Russell Shepard, I really can't see how this helps the Panthers. Uh, it's not going to be able to help them contend in the South. The South is a wide-open division that they can win. Um, right now, the Panthers, I believe, would be in the wildcard spot. So I can't understand um, you know, why they're looking to add extra 2018 draft picks to give up an asset that could potentially allow them to stay in the race for a very competitive division. Yep. People who don't remember that, you know, it took Darren Sproles a couple of years before he started to be a, a much efficient runner, um, not until sort of his last year in San Diego when he really started to get some more bulky carries uh, the last few years in San Diego, so if you're comparing the mm. two. But um, with Benjamin, I, I do think Tyrod Taylor is definitely a winner because it gives him a legitimate number one receiver. He's a six foot five target. Look, I, I, I don't mind Benjamin. I think he's good in the red zone, and I think Tyrod Taylor's got touch and and got a nice ball that he can hit um, Benjamin in stride and get and get a lot out of him like I don't mind the trade at all I just think when you look back and over their moves Sammy Watkins is two years younger than Kelvin Benjamin I know he's got injury history but so does Kelvin Benjamin but in, in saying that like it's not a bad trade it gives them a, a legit red zone threat um, and you didn't exchange too much a third and what's a third and a seventh round pick really so like I don't mind it for the bills um, I'm happy for Tyrod because I think when Andre Holmes is your number one red zone threat, you're in trouble. Yeah, I mean, the Bills, if you were going to say there was a team that won, the Bills would probably be the ones. Uh, if you sort of harken back to uh, what I was talking about with the Eagles, where a team sort of sees they have a window to to make a bit of noise, and the Bills have, have been in great form this year. I don't think they'll catch the Pats, but you know, potentially they see that they can break this almost two-decade playoff drought. Yep. Um, so... Yeah, I mean, all the power to them. It'll be interesting to see how this one plays out, whether Kelvin Benjamin actually has a bit of a career revival after a great rookie year or if he continues to, to struggle a bit, especially um, you know, with his conditioning and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Three-point stance. All right, three-point stance time. And we're, do- we're talking week one of our mid-season review. Um, and point one, um, basically, we're just we're going to talk here: the good, the bad, the ugly, and the surprising. So, looking at the state of the NFL right now, um, we can start it with your Eagles. But um, enough has been said about them over over the last few weeks with with uh, Woot and myself. But um, definitely a for me, you know, the the teams we knew were going to be good were the Pats and the Seahawks. Um, the the Steelers and the Chiefs to a degree, although the Chiefs I didn't think would be winning the way that they are. But it's good to see teams like the Rams, the Jaguars, and the Saints in the top half of the league. It's it's quite refreshing. Yeah, exactly right. I, I sort of said this to you guys during the week on our little private chats. Um, you know, a lot of people can say that this is a really weird NFL season. You've got no Aaron Rodgers. Um, some of those top teams you mentioned aren't really contending anymore, but. You know, it, it's parody in the league to say, if someone said to you at the start of the year that, you know, if they said this is a joke, my bold pick for the Super Bowl is going to be the Rams and the Jags, um, you know, you'd laugh it off as a bold pick. But yep. those teams are both well and truly, um, you know, in the hunt to not only win their divisions, but be relevant, extremely relevant in January. When you add the Saints, they're on a, um, you know, a slow start, they don't want to start. They found their groove. Five straight. Um, five straight. You know, they, they've figured stuff out. Uh, the Bills, as we just mentioned, you know, they've had a two-decade playoff drought. Um, and, you know, we, we've mentioned the Eagles plenty of times, uh, so we don't really need to go through them. But it's refreshing to see teams um, not just sort of staggering their way back up from obscurity, um, to actually see them uh, jump up and, 
yeah, we'll get to this further on when we go to our awards. Um, there's some really important people behind those moves. And this is probably the one reason why I'm enjoying the season so much is it's just so unpredictable. And you can't count out teams that normally you'd think are a laughing stock. And you, know, you pretty much have to take all of your previous stereotypes of, of what franchises and teams and even certain players are like uh, and throw them out the window this year, which is fantastic. Yeah, like obviously that's a, a definite positive, but the league missing superstars that it is, Odell Beckham, Aaron Rodgers and JJ Watt, obviously hurt. Um, Aaron Rodgers especially, like I think the AFC would be in a much, like it, it's already the more competitive, I guess, in terms of um, there's more elite teams, I guess, or not really elite, but more in contention for divisions rather than, you know, the AFC. I think the AFC is a pretty clear-cut sort of top three teams in the Pats, the Chiefs, and the Steelers. But the NFC is far more competitive. I think if the Packers are still alive, you've got, you know, the Vikings and the Packers in the North, the Saints, Panthers, and Falcons, the Seahawks and Rams, and then you've got the Eagles, and then the Cowboys and as well, to a degree, um, as well. So that obviously hurts. But you mentioned the Saints. Definitely a surprising, like, one of the more surprising units this year, I think, has been the Saints' defense over the last three weeks. Whether that can hold up is going to be a, one of the mysteries, I guess, of the second half of the season. Um, I, I can fully expect them, um, you know, cr- crashing and burning. But if it does hold up, uh, you, you're talking Marshawn Lattimore as a potential defensive rookie of the year. We'll get to that in a minute. But if they can hold up, I think the way that Drew Brees is playing, like he hasn't even been playing that great the last sort of three weeks. He played better in their 0-2 losses, I, I'd imagine, um, then he has over the last few weeks. The ground game's going really well. It's a it's a really surprising Saints team. And then on the other side of the ball, the Jets' offense is a, is a massive surprise to me, the way that Josh McCown has managed to make do with no offensive line and really weird weapons in it. Sort of a clown car running backs, Bilal Powell and 45-year-old Matt Forte and Elijah Maguire. Those two teams, especially in terms of offense and defense as a unit, are a massive surprise. Another surprise is the Bears' being really, really good at home. Their defense has been really competitive. And and then on the other side of the ball, the, the Raiders and the Bucks and the Giants being really bad. Yeah, the the Bucks for me are the one that I'm most disappointed in uh, in terms of, oh, I didn't see this coming. I had them winning the division at the start of the year. I guess you can call it the hard knocks curse. Um, yeah. That, that, that team is just way too loaded with talent, especially offensively. Um, you know, for them not to be making inroads and and beating teams, and they're, they're floundering, and it, 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 that has probably been the most surprising one. I, I could understand if they were middle of the road, you know, a four and three team or a three and four, sort of trying to work out where they are, um, you know. But to do two and five, and, and quite clearly, um, you know, not having an identity uh, and and not having real confidence uh, behind them is is staggering. The Raiders are probably in that same boat. They were a playoff team a year ago. Um, you know, everyone was on Derek Clower, including myself, you know, to be that uh, that guy who continued to to develop and and, and put himself in that upper echelon of quarterbacks. Um, but you know, it's it's been the polar opposite. They they're going in the opposite direction. Derek Carr injuries or not, um, you know, really with the exception of that Kansas City Thursday night game, you, you haven't seen anything from the Raiders this year either. Um, you know, which for a team that was on the cusp of being able to make some noise in the playoffs to all of a sudden being back in obscurity where they'd been since 2002, that's going to be incredibly frustrating for Raiders fans, uh, especially knowing that they're about to skip town. Yeah, definitely. Um, some questions for the 
the back end of the season and um, the Vikings quarterback situation is one that comes to mind immediately. What do they do at quarterback? They're doing very well. Mike Zimmer's doing a hell of a job there with sort of the comings and goings at quarterback there. Do they stick with Case Keenum, who's actually been pretty good with a bunch of uh, great receivers in, in Diggs and Thielen, who I, I want to say a, a surprise, but I was high on them all off season and even at the back end of the last season. So I'm not really going to say that they're, they're a surprise, but it, they're, there's something I'm very pleasantly, ha- like I'm very happy with that I was correct on and that the hype lived up to. But what do they do at do at quarterback? And then who's going to get their first win first, the Browns or the 49ers? Yeah, like, obviously I'm not an NFL head coach, but I'd be inclined just to keep on playing the hot hand. Um, yeah, you've, you've got Keenum there, you've got Bradford there, and depending on what happens with Teddy, um, if they can get him back on the field and into the fold, just play the hot hand. Um, you know, the last thing you want to do is make that panic move and overcompensate with this QB decision and derail the uh, the season. You know, if the wins are piling up and you're in contention, you know to be the first team ever to host uh, a Super Bowl that they appear in, keep on going with what works. Uh, don't change the recipes as tantalising as it may be to go back to a Bradford. If Keenum's able to manage games and ultimately win them with the, the cast that he's got, Kyle Rudolph is another uh, who's able to to do work. Uh, Jarek McKinnon is doing a great job replacing uh, Dalvin Cook at the running back position. Uh, and, and let the defense try and win some some ball games as well. Uh, let Kendricks and Barr and Everson Griffin do what they do so that you don't have to have so much on the quarterback position to win you those games. Mm. To me, it's got to be San Fran's going to win the next. They're going to be the first ones. They're the only ones who you can realistically say should have won games by now. They've lost a lot of close ones. Uh, the Browns, you know, they're, they're topsy-turvy at a lot of positions. Uh, their quarterback position's all over the place. Some free agents they bought in, especially Kenny Britt, has, has done nothing for them. <laughs> He's Been Dwayne Bo yeah, right now. Yeah, um, you know, those, those sort of cancerous things that you can do to a team, it, it doesn't help you. And I'm not going to say the Browns are going to finish 0-16, but, yeah, I'm far more inclined to say that San Fran, they've been a very chirpy team they're able to make some noise and i think one day uh probably in the next couple of weeks they'll catch a team okay. uh, especially if they can get jimmy g in and you now they'll be stable at the quarterback position i think yeah they'll definitely get on the ball before the browns do well both are expecting a, a player with the initials jg back um in week 11 or 12 so one of them will lead their team to a win um will it be jimmy garoppolo or josh gordon we'll wait and see but um, one last thought on the first season of the of the uh, first half the season of the wow did I stutter? first half of the 2017 NFL season is um, another sort of question I guess is the Jaguars defense whether they can hold on with their current sort of anchor at quarterback um, and whether their defense can hold on um, as well they're kind of the opposite to the Saints in terms of that their defense is is really really good, but they obviously had the concern whether the whether Bortles can hold up, and then obviously for the Saints whether the defense can hold up. But do you think the Jags can hold on and and still uh, you know sneak into the playoffs? Do you do you buy this Jaguars defense, Saxonville? Absolutely, I do. We've seen plenty of teams in the past, you know, ride a very mediocre offense, um, you know, with an extremely good defense. The the Chicago Bears that. Your Colts beat uh, in the Super Bowl were a great example of that. 
you know, Rex Grossman isn't going to be the guy that you, you hit your wagon to to try and win your Super Bowls. But the defense and the special teams they had was immaculate. Baltimore's another example with Trent Dilfer behind center. Yep. Um, even even the Texans, um, you know, being a playoff team, riding that defense, you know, of Watt and Merciless and um, Jadavian Clowney and all those guys with Brock Osweiler and Tom Savage, who uh, apparently is real um, <laughs> at, at the quarterback position. Uh, the, the Jags have easily been the best defense. I did see this coming. I don't want to gloat, but you, yep. you could see it on paper. You know, with, with the lineup they've got, um, these are incredibly talented football players. All lines of their of their defense, um, you know, have guys that are going to go to the Pro Bowl. I don't think this is some sort of fluky run that they've gone on. I think they've got the personnel and the coaching uh, that's going to hold them in good stead, and and they'll continue to roll. Um, you know, right throughout the rest of the the, what, the nine weeks that are remaining, and and be a playoff team for mine. Yeah, all right. Well, let's roll from that into our second point, and we'll start with defensive player of the year, um, because we both have uh, we've kind of got it in a you know one two three sort of as a race at this point. Um, and we both have Jaguars players on our list. So my defensive player of the year race at the moment is Melvin Ingram in front, Everson Griffin second, and Jalen Ramsey third. You've got another Jacksonville Jaguar at the top of your list. Yeah, I've got easily the best free agent pickup of the offseason, Calais Campbell. Um, he's been extraordinary. One of the big reasons why you know, we talk away, we do about Jacksonville right now, leading the leagues in sack or co-leading the league in sacks. He's been incredibly disruptive. Um, and when you've got that kind of guy in the middle, you know, the Telvin Smiths and the Miles Jacks uh, and the Yannick Nguyes or whatever his surname is, um, they're able the to Gokwe. go to work. Ngokwe, Nagui, I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a late night. I've had a long day. But yeah. you know, when, you, when you've got a guy like that in the middle, um, he allows other people to go to work. Um, and then you've seen uh, AJ Boye and, and Jalen Ramsey, as you said, in the defensive backfield being able to absolutely thrive. So I wanted to put Ramsey on this list. Uh, I just didn't want to have two Jaguars. I wanted to spread out the love. Um, the other player I had that you didn't uh, was the, the gentleman who's uh, co-holding that Sacks lead, uh, Demarcus Lawrence in Dallas. I might be an Eagles fan, but credit where credit's due, he has been uh, the best pass rusher this year so far for mine. Yeah, he's been um, extraordinary. I just feel like uh, Melvin Ingram just getting overlooked. He's just killing it right now. And uh, we did a few polls uh, yesterday on um, on our account because we couldn't record yesterday. So. Um, defensive player of the year, the winner of that was actually uh, Jalen Ramsey just. But uh, so obviously with Twitter polls, you can only do four options. So uh, we had Melvin Ingram, Everson Griffin, Jalen Ramsey, and then the others would, I just had in brackets for an example, Demarcus Lawrence and Campbell. Um, so 111 votes. It was, wasn't much in those two. So it's ve- definitely a wide open race. Offensive uh, player of the year is often the MVP. So let's let's go with that. Um, I still have Tom Brady out in front. I feel like he's been um, more consistent from start to finish this year. Um, Wentz has been great. He's had um, much better games overall. Like His good games have been amazing, um, been like human highlight reels, and they've been in prime time, which is often helpful as well. And then I think Russell Wilson snuck into the race over the last few weeks, um, winning for the Seahawks without a run game and, and some late-game heroics. But Deshaun Watson, if he can keep up his play, could be a sneaky candidate as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, for mine, I've got a guy you didn't mention, but I'm sure uh, he'd be in the honourable mentions. Alex Smith, for mine, uh, is the MVP. Just understanding the behaviour and the trends of 
of sometimes how the voters roll. You'd be surprised if I told you that Tom Brady hasn't won the MVP in eight seasons. Yeah. And that's not because he's being held down. That's not because he's a scapegoat for any sort of deflate gate or spy gate uh, or or any scam that he, he wants to run uh, with his fitness. That just purely comes down to on a year-by-year, case-by-case basis, which is what the MVP is, they'll generally look at the guy who's able to, to lead their team and also put up consistent stats uh, when the chips are down uh, to help his team. And that, for mine, is Alex Smith. Uh, he's on the best team in the AFC, um, and he has been just as consistent, if not more consistent than Brady. He's just not throwing it as much, uh, and he probably has a better supporting cast, which... Um, you know, I guess you could make that argument that that helps him um, as opposed to Brady, who's doing a lot more work without guys like Edelman um, and others. But, yeah, I think Alex Smith just uh, – got Carson Wentz second. Uh, call me a homer on that, but, you know, Carson's taken the lead. I got him second, so. Exactly right. But, I mean, it, it is staggering uh, to think that Carson Wentz is a second-year player isn't just being considered, um, you know, a, a making the leap candidate or a, a most improved candidate, but you know, people are, are legitimately and genuinely talking about him as an MVP candidate, which it, it's great to watch as an Eagles fan. It inspires a lot of hope, and you know, for for a fan base that uh, has gone through a lot at the quarterback position in the last few years, guys like Nick Foles and Mike Vick and yep. um, Kevin Kolb, um, you know, t- to see. The fact that we, we traded up a lot of capital to get him at number two uh, and Howie Roseman looks like a genius. I couldn't think of a third. I didn't want to put Brady in there because I knew we were going to talk about him. I thought I'd give a shout-out in the MVP race to Tony Romo. He has been uh, a phenomenal asset for the NFL in the, the broadcast booth. He makes it more fun uh, to watch NFL games. And more importantly, uh, he makes people more knowledgeable for having watched NFL games. Uh, the fact that they've had to tone back his enthusiasm is really annoying, so... Uh, shout out to, to Tony Romo again. Credit where credit's due from an Eagles fan. Um, I'm going to give Tony Romo my spare MVP vote. <laughs> uh, that's a nice one. I just want to give an honourable mention to Andrew Luck. Um, given how bad the team is, I think he's proved that he... Um, everyone knocked his deal. Uh, I think he, A, he proved his, how bloody good he is and how much he covered up for this roster. And B, he's actually underpaid um, when you really look at it. Um, he should be paid a lot more to put up with what's going on. Um, in Indy, um, so I definitely think he's proved his value um, uh, in terms of how we're going without him. All right, let's blitz through these rookies um, to catch up on some time. Um, a fancy rookie of the year, it's a two-horse race. It's Watson um, and uh, Kareem Hunt. I've got Watson ahead. Um, you've also got Watson ahead. You've also got a third guy on your list just sneaking in. I just think you want to mention him because he's awesome. Yeah, I thought I'd put in a third because you didn't. Juju Smith-Schuster uh, is fast becoming one of my favorite players in the entire NFL. Um, he is... <laughs> I, 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 I'm not ready to call it a man crush, but yeah, he, he's fun oh, to watch. Full-blown man he's, crush on my end. He, he's the yeah. best. I think he's the best on Twitter right now. But you know, if, you, if, you, if you take away uh, Watson and Hunt, as you said, it's a two-horse race. I mean, Juju's not realistically going to win this award, but if you took those two away... There hasn't really been too many guys stand out, with the Four, exception Fournette. of Juju and, and Leonard Fournette, who I put in the honorable mentions. Yep. Um, but I, I really wanted to make sure that Juju Smith-Schuster got some love because, yeah, he's, he makes he makes football fun. And he, he's proving that Martavis Bryant um, really has painted himself into a really bad corner, which makes it even more fun because no one likes a little crybaby. <laughs> uh, defensive Rookie of the Year race, we both have uh, Marshawn Lattimore, Tredavis White, 
and TJ Watt as our top three. Just Miles Garrett simply hasn't played enough football, um, but he's shown he's very much worth the number one overall pick, um, although you could go back and put Watson um, <laughs> well and truly ahead of him. But, yeah, I definitely think that that race is pretty easy. Lattimore's absolutely transformed this Saints defense. The head coach of the year awards, um, very open, I think. Um, we did a poll, and we got a lot of um, people sort of messaging us for the other section, but um, I definitely think there's a lot of contenders this year. Um, for me, like Bowles and McDermott have done a hell of a job with rosters that many thought that they were tanking. Then you have, you know, Peterson and Reed doing really, really well, and then someone like McVeigh transforming Jared Goff. Yeah, McVeigh for mine, you know, you look at uh, the Rams going from obscurity, um, playing in front of half a stadium, you know, to, to realistically being able to, to win the NFC West and, and also contend um, for the NFC. You know, they've still got a game against the Seahawks coming up. They've still got a home game against the Eagles coming up. So, you know, as funny as it sounds, they control their fate in a lot of ways um, and they can be extremely relevant in January. McVeigh, the work he's done with Jared Goff, a lot of people were willing to write Goff off uh, after last year. They thought that um, Dak Prescott and to a degree Carson Wentz were really the only two to come out. But, you know, credit's where credit's due for you. You've been a big believer in Goff. You said that Goff was going to outperform Wentz this year. Um, I'll probably still take the win to say that Wentz has been better. But yeah, but yeah Goff has, has made a real, uh, I'm gonna real s- contest of it. I'm going to say Wentz, um, I think Goff has pushed Wentz to the next level just to purely prove me wrong. So well done, Carson. But well done, Jared, yeah. for pushing Wentz. You, you, you're yeah, Carson was... Yeah, Carson was definitely sitting in his home in Philadelphia thinking, I wonder what the Wooten Y show thinks of me. So <laughs> I've done a three sixty on Wentz in about three weeks. It's very fast. I've got yeah. I've actually got burn marks from spinning so quickly around on Wentz. But yeah, McVeigh won our vote um quite easily in that. Um some honorable mentions, but we need to speed up. Um I just want to mention Travis Kelsey's having a phenomenal season and I know you've mentioned uh your boy Zach Ertz, who um I've I've been a big believer in for a while. Yeah, it's only taken about five years of being a breakout of the year candidate to break out. But he, he, he for mine, I mean, you mentioned Kelsey. Uh, if you have a look at Jason Kelsey's stats and Zach Ertz's stats side by side, um, if you told me it was player A, player B, you wouldn't be able to split them. Uh, he's been easily the most consistent tight end across the year. He's been a big reason why Carson Wentz has been able to have so much success, that safety blanket, and he seemed to find himself in the end zone week after week after week, which you know, obviously is a phenomenal thing to be able to help you win games because you know, when you're a scoring threat, uh, as well as being able to have those 20, 40-yard big plays as a tight end, um, I want to give some love to So Good at Ertz. I had Todd Gurley in there as well. Uh, he's had a great, um, I wouldn't call it a career revival, but he's certainly come back from that sophomore slump. And uh, he's another big reason why uh, Jared Goff's been able to develop as much as he has. And LA is in a good position. Yep. All right, let's move on to our third point. And uh, we have uh, very, very similar division winners because we're updating our division winners. So um, let's just run through these. Uh, actually, you want to run us through uh, all of those for us, Scott? Yeah, I think the only one that we have different is I have Houston winning the AFC South. You've got the Jags. But otherwise, uh, in the AFC, it's Pittsburgh, the Pats, Kansas City, uh, and those two I mentioned in the South. And then over in the NFC, we've got Minnesota, Philadelphia, Seattle, and New Orleans, which, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's only one non-current division leader that we've left out, and that's the Titans. 
Yeah. Uh, so f- fairly predictable. But in saying that, I had a good look. I wanted to try and find a team that could sort of come from behind and steal a division. I just can't see it, though. Um, these divisions seem like all the teams who are leading it, with the exception of the Titans, they have a good enough grip on the division. And I can't see any areas, with the exception of a, a season and an injury to an important player, I can't see too many areas where these teams are going to have a bit of a slump in the second half. Yep. Although it would be really fun to see uh, some of these division races really start to hot up um, you know, later in November as we go into the final month. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so who are your wild card teams then? I had Jacksonville as my wildcard team. So you had them winning the South. I still had them um, as a wildcard. And then I think the Bills are going to break their skid as well, um, get back in the playoffs. The Bills Mafia, geez, the things they do when the team's not very good, I can't wait to see what they do when their team's in the playoffs. <laughs> Actually, I don't, I, I, wait, let me rephrase it. I don't want to see what they do, but I can't wait to hear about what they do when their team's in the playoffs. They're going to set fire, uh, set people on fire that are already on oh, fire or something like that. It's going to be raining rubber devices all over uh, the field. <laughs> I feel like the AFC is pretty clear cut at the moment. Um, just the AFC South um, remains quietly competitive, which is quite quite fascinating in itself. Um, but the Texans obviously have the biggest upside, I think, in the ceiling. The way that Watson's playing, but they are just as I said, they sh- they could be five and two, and they're three and four. But um, I'm not really buying the Titans, so we have them flipped. Um, in terms of the yeah. Jags and the Texans, but um, at the moment we have them both in the uh, in the playoffs. A team I, I still think could go on a run are the Chargers. I know they're three and five, but they have potential to win games, but they just can't close games properly. But yeah, definitely have um, yeah the te- I have the Texans and Buffalo in the NFC. Things are a little bit different. Um, we both had Seattle winning the West, but we both have the Rams as a wild card team. I've got Atlanta turning things around. I think they'll fix things out. They're still winning games, even though they're they haven't been great. Um, that was a toss-up for me between them and Carolina of, of who would be that final wild card, but I do think there'll be two teams from the NFC South. Yeah, for mine, I've got Detroit, actually. Have a look at their their run home. They've got Chicago a couple of times. They're going to be able to beat Green Bay, Sands, Aaron Rodgers. I just think that looking at Detroit's uh, schedule, uh, it's soft enough for them to be able to win a majority of those um, you know, it probably is going to come down to owning the same record as a team like Carolina or Atlanta. Um, but I think that Detroit has enough. Matt Stafford's playing well enough um, that they'll sneak in. Yep. The not, thing- to make, not to make too much noise, but I think that they'll just be, um, I guess, the one on top of that little that little pack at the end of the, the NFC. Yep. The thing that hurts them, though, is they lost to the Falcons and the Panthers. So... It does. Um, so obviously they need that in hand, but I think, yeah, yeah just a very soft schedule. Yep. I definitely um, agree very... about the schedule. Yeah. Yep. All right. So who is meeting in your AFC championship game and NFC championship game? And then we'll, uh, we'll go to our Super Bowl picks. It's normally a joke segment, but we're going to be quite serious, uh, this, this episode. Yeah. I, I've maintained my logic with the, the pick so far. I'm, I'm going to go a little bit astray. I'm going to say that Houston and Pittsburgh uh, will be in the AFC title game. I think Pittsburgh will probably have uh, a top two seed, so they'll they'll have a nice, easy path to be able to uh, win their way through and stay at home. And I don't know. I mean, we saw that Houston, as you mentioned before, if Bill O'Brien was just able to manage that game a little bit better, they could have beaten New England uh, and they could have beaten Seattle. So I, te- I think this team, they've got playoff experience, and I think they're plucky enough uh, for Deshaun Watson to to ride them all the way through 
to the wow. AFC Championship game. <laughs> Joe Flacco did it as a rookie. So if Joe Flacco, of all people, can make the AFC title game as a rookie, why can't Deshaun Watson? Fair enough. I've got uh, Pittsburgh traveling to New England, and I have Seattle traveling to Philly. Yeah, I have the same thing. I've got Seattle at Philly. I don't want to be too ahead of myself with Philadelphia because uh, I know that'll jinx us, but we'll have a top two seed, hopefully, as will Seattle. It'll be a, a one-two uh, NFC with Seattle going into Philly. Uh, and then Super Bowl-wise, ah, I'm going to... Don't get ahead of yourself. Let me play the drop, baby. Super Bowl picks. We were going to Disneyland. Oh, yes. <laughs> All right, Scott, what's your Super Bowl? Who's beating who? I've got Houston going into Pittsburgh. No, that's that's your AFC Championship game. No, no, no. If you let me finish the sentence. <laughs> Man, I we're said, running out of time. you gotta, I, you got to hustle. I yeah, I've got Houston going into Pittsburgh and getting the job done. Gotcha. And I've got Seattle going into Philadelphia and also winning. So I've got the two road teams going through. Madness. Let's have a rematch of last week. Houston versus Seattle, oh, round two. The 79-point rematch. Wow. Love the it. Dwayne. The Dwayne Brown Bowl. Oh, the Dwayne Brown Bowl. Fantastic. <laughs> Lived up to the hype. Um, I've got the Pittsburgh Steelers finally breaking their drought and winning in uh, in New England in the in the playoffs. And um, I think it's on the back of their young, hungry defense. And we have Pittsburgh versus Seattle Seahawks. Um, shades of Matt Hasselback um, in a bit of a uh, saucy... How, what year was that? It's, it's a, that it's was been... Super Bowl forty in Detroit. So, so we might as well bring twelve can years. Can we bring Fast Willie Parker back for that one? Or Why not? Are we do? Steelers Why not? Seahawks, bring it on! That would be a, a hell of a game. Two good defenses, two good quarterbacks. Um, Antonio Brown v Richard Sherman. I would love that. But that's our uh, Super Bowl picks. It's on to our pre-snap picks. Pre-snap picks. All right, so we've just done the first half of our mid-season review, but uh, we need to hit the proper midway of the season, and that's week nine, and we start with the Buffalo Bills and the New York Jets. Uh, who are you taking, Scott? Uh, well, I think this is going to be a really good game um, in the colorblind bowl for yeah. Color Rush. i got the Bills winning this one. Yeah, I, I'm leaning towards the Bills as well. I am really want to see... We I know the Bills are good at home, and I know that last week was a kind of... Are they a real game between them and the Raiders? So, you know, I really, if the Bills did blow that against the Raiders, I wouldn't be believing in them as much. But winning on the road against a, a saucy Jets team, I know they've lost a few in a row here, but they've been very competitive. But I think the Bills can get it done on the back of uh, newly acquired Kelvin Benjamin. Falcons at Panthers. Now, this is an interesting game given the t- two teams' record and the way that they've been playing the last few weeks. Um, they both sort of won ugly last week. Um, obviously, you got to favour the home team here, I guess, but uh, can the Falcons even the record up and, and move ahead of them? I'm not sure. Uh, I'm going to take Atlanta. I'm not confident in it at all. Yeah, I've got Carolina. This is a coin flip. Um, you, know, you sort of mentioned that the home field advantage is uh, potentially something to break them, but in division games like this, there's no such thing as home field half the time. Um, it yep. be interesting to see how this one rolls out because, as we've mentioned before, these are two teams that are fighting for a wild card spot, so this would be a very important game uh, to get the ascendancy in. Yep, uh, the Baltimore Ravens at the Tennessee Titans. This is a um, I don't want to say interesting matchup because I don't really want to watch this matchup, 
But when you look at the two teams' records, um, you know, the, the Titans have to keep winning to stay alive in the division because the Jags and the Texans are breathing down their neck. And the Ravens, despite how awful they've been, they're still four and four. So, you know, if they do win here and go to five and four and the Bills happen to, to lose at the Jets or someone else drops a game, you know, they're not out of the wild card race yet as bad as they've been. Their defense has been sneaky, reliable, um, but their offense just can't, I just can't trust their offense at all. And so I think the Titans will, will get a win here. I think Marcus Mariota is going to be healthy after the bye week and will be able to be mobile enough to get it done against the Ravens. But I'm not confident in this pick at all or really keen to watch this game. Yeah, I'm pretty much mirroring your thoughts, except I'll go with Baltimore. Um, Alex Collins for mine, you know, the last few weeks, he's really uh, stepped up his game and been one of those surprise packet running backs. I'll go Baltimore purely because, you know, they had a really good week last week. They're coming off a long break. Obviously realize that the Titans are coming off the bye as well, but I'll take continuity in a long break over a couple of weeks rest. Yep. By the way, I went uh, full round correct last week, picked every game correct. So uh, I'm in good form here, but uh, Cincinnati Bengals travel to the Jacksonville Jaguars to take on the Jags, the number one rated uh, DVOA defense in the league, despite having the 32nd ranked rush defense. Just a strange year. Uh, where you have the number one defense ranked last in rushing, and then even the Pats, they're, they're first in offense and, and dead last in defense overall in DVOA. So it's kind of funny that the, a weird, wacky season relates in the data as well in terms of DVOA. But uh, the Bengals, I, I like them here. I'm not going to pick them, but I do think they're a sneaky chance to have an upset here. I don't think they're as bad as their record suggests. Um, I think they're... A competitive team. Obviously, last week was a bit of a trap game with the Colts being so desperate after the way that, that they've been. But I don't know. I, I can see Andy Dalton and AJ Green maybe getting something done. I know this pass defense is so so good, but I am worried about how the Bengals, uh, how the Jags are going to score points because the Bengals defense is is quite solid as well. They they're pretty highly rated in terms of DVOA as well. Yeah, I've got the Jags here as well as a home team. The Jags are an interesting one because, you know, as impressive as they have been, they are one of those teams that are on and off, hot and cold. Yep. Um, so whether or not this is their hot week or their cold week, um, I'm not so much concerned about whether or not they're going to be able to score points on offense because they've got a defense that's going to be able to beat up uh, the red rifle uh, or the red pop gun, if you want to call them that. <laughs> um, you know, and, and AJ Green's obviously a great threat, but I can't really see the likes of Brandon LaFell and Tyler Croft doing much uh, work against the, the Jags' defense. Yeah, exactly. And that, that does – just both these teams are capable of just strange games on their day. Like, And both can really bed at any time and just put up an awful, awful performance, both these quarterbacks. So it's a, it's a strange game. The lines are like five. That's why I don't mind the Bengals plus five in that spot. Um, if you're yeah, a punter, do I. If you're a punter, check out the Punt Return podcast. Woot went three from three last week. So check us out if you like to have a flutter. Um, on the NFL. All right, Denver Broncos travel to Philadelphia Eagles. Brock Osweiler starting for the Broncos after Trevor Simeon's poor performances over the last fortnight. Um, Brock Osweiler, the Brock Lobster, traveling to Philly to take on the best uh, best team in the NFL in terms of record, the Philadelphia Eagles. I'm taking the Eagles. I think they'll win. They've got a hard schedule coming up. This is a win that they uh, would like to just put in the rack, and that way they can just sort of extend that lead for the number one seed. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, I've got great confidence in the Eagles being able to get this done. They've been impressive uh, pretty much the whole eight weeks. Even that one loss against Kansas City, they could have easily won that. I'm going to go with a, a bit of a bold pick, though. I reckon that 
especially with the way that our, our O-line is, uh, going up against uh, that defensive front and Von Miller, I realize he lines up over the right tackle, so he'll go head-to-head with Lane Johnson, but it's going to open up a lot of lanes on the other side, and I don't trust Big V enough. I think that Denver's going to be able to score somewhere in the teens uh, and pip the Eagles, just catch him on a bad day. It's about oh, time the Eagles okay. had a bad day. So I don't want it to happen. I really don't want it to happen, but... You know, no no team, especially the Eagles, you can't really go nine weeks straight being uh, too flawless. Uh, I think it's time, uh, unfortunately, that yeah, they're going to have a, a slip up. Yep, this is the type of defense that'll expose the Jason Peters loss. So I'm definitely interested to Absolutely. see how they handle yeah. how they handle that. That's a fantastic point by you. Uh, Colts at Texans. This one's pretty clear cut. The Texans will win this game. Um, let's yep. move on to the Rams and the Giants. Um, the Rams traveling to the Giants, fresh off a bye, uh, both teams. So I, I like the Rams despite traveling across the country and, and playing in an early game. That's always hurts teams. But when you've had the bye and they're fresh, and I just can't see how the Giants can score points. They're, they're a tough team and stingy on defense and can keep things close for a while. But on the other side of the football, Aaron Donald and, and co. can really trouble Eli Manning and get pressure. And I think the Rams will... Uh, Will win. I think it won't be a huge victory though. I think the Giants, you know, even since losing Odell Beckham, they've changed their game plan a little bit to try and just sort of tough slug and, and be a, a little bit of a different team. And it's helped them sort of keep games competitive for a while. Yeah, I've, I've got the Rams here as well. I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants got up uh, just based on the the time zone travel that the Rams have to endure. But you know, Landon Collins is going to be pretty lonely in that defensive backfield doing all the work uh, now that his, uh, his two other amigos are oh, yeah, pretty much just definitely. blowing up their careers. Uh, and offensively, we know the injuries that have hit the Giants. Yeah. Uh, and Eli Manning's um, pretty much on his last leg. So, yeah, book it in for the Rams. Yep. I uh, forgot to mention, yeah, Janoris Jenkins out um, indefinitely with a uh, for, for violating team rules. That's a huge loss, so... Um, could could see a good uh, heavy dose of Sammy Watkins in that game, potentially. Uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers travel to the Saints. The Buccaneers, despite how bad the Pats have been this year, they're the 32nd-ranked passing defense in DVOA, which does not bode well for any team traveling to the Superdome to take on Drew Brees, who's um, still, he's still through for 300 yards. He just hasn't been lighting it up and putting many touchdowns in the rack because they've been running it in. But um, I think they'll they'll feast on this secondary and I'm interested to see how Marshawn Lattimore goes up against uh, Mike Evans. I want to grab my popcorn and watch that matchup, but I'm taking the Saints. Yeah, well, that's a matchup that we're going to be able to watch for, for quite a while. One of those rare matchups, we always talk about QBs going head-to-head, but when you've got a, a corner and a, a wide receiver actually going man against man the whole time, that's going to be a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, Alvin Kamara is another one to watch in this game. He's yeah. uh, got an increased workload. Obviously, Adrian Peterson didn't take too much away from him, but... The fact that he's now at the equation, uh, Alvin Kamara is making uh, probably one we could have mentioned, um, you know, for that offensive rookie honorable mention, if he can make a little bit of noise in the next couple of months as well. I've got the Saints. Yep. Uh, Arizona Cardinals, San Francisco 49ers. This game's just making up the numbers here. Um, both teams pretty much checked out. Cardinals just so banged up by injury. Drew Stanton starting at quarterback. Um, get excited if you're a quarterback purist. Drew Stanton, CJ Beathard. Um, I think this is this potentially might be the matchup the 49ers sneak out a win at home, um, which would be quite funny if CJ Bedard can uh, sneak out a win the week that they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo, but it's just the way the uh, matchups have aligned here. But in saying that, yeah. I can see Arizona fully just destroying CJ Beathard up front. He's 
you know, as bad as he's been, the O-line situation in San Fran is is really, really, really bad, and um, Chandler Jones and co. can make plenty of pressure. Yeah, you say this is one for the uh, the QB purists. If you like kicking, uh, field goals will be on display in this one. Yep. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> uh, Washington Redskins traveling to Seattle. Uh, Seattle coming off some really good performances. Washington, some lackluster ones, and they're just really banged up at the moment. Um, I'm still waiting. You know, CJ, uh, CJ, Jamison Crowder um, finally decided that he wants to play in the NFL this season and showed up last week, but I'm still waiting on someone else to, to step up from this receiving call. Jordan Reed's banged up. He's out missing this game. Jamison Crowder just can't do it all on his own. Uh, Terrell Pryor, it's just been a free agent bust. And Josh Doxson, like he's been showing up and and, and is good for a touchdown pass every now and then, but it's not consistent enough to to really trouble a, a legion of Boone that's playing well despite leaking a lot of points. They made stops in the fourth quarter to to give them the win last week, and I trust at home that they'll do it again against the Redskins. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to uh, for Washington uh, to go over to the West Coast and beat a really informed team. Uh, this will be an easy one for Seattle by a couple of scores. Yep. Kansas City Chiefs at Dallas Cowboys. No Zeke Elliott. He is suspended for six weeks. Alfred Morris or Darren McFadden will get the start. I think it'll be Alf, but I think you expect some split carries, maybe a 60-40, um, even a 50-50 split from those two. I think just the hot hand approach from um, the coaching staff there might be the way to go. Uh, the, the Cowboys are really starting to get it together. Um, they're playing well. Dak's playing well. They're just not winning games, so no one's really talking about him that much, but they've won a couple in a row here, and the defense is a little bit improved, but the Chiefs can score 30, 40 points with ease, and without Zeke controlling the clock and the running game keeping the Chiefs' offense off the field, I can't see them winning this game, and I'm going to take the Chiefs. Yeah, the Chiefs, the the big thing for our fan with the Chiefs this year is they're the kind of team that you can hang with for three and a half quarters, but they just have a knack for for not giving up, and they'll pull 21 points in in the space of five minutes and just completely yeah. obliterate the game. And I just don't think Dallas have the staying power, um, you know, to, to make those stops. And, um, yeah, I've got KC in this one as well. Yep. Uh, Oakland Raiders, Miami Dolphins, Sunday night football. Get excited, baby. Yeah, That's a correct. hell of a matchup. <laughs> um, you've been waiting all day for Sunday night. Um, I, the, the Miami Dolphins may be the worst uh Four and three team of all time. They are terrible. Now they've lost JJ. As bad as the Raiders are, and the Wooten Y show were quite low on the Raiders preseason, and uh, I think we've been proven correct. I, I'm taking them in this game. Yeah, this is one that the schedule makers will probably want back. They've looked at these two teams being playoff teams from a year ago and thought, you know what, let's just put a little frisky Sunday night game in the middle of the season. Uh, but I think that they'll be itching to have that one back and, and put something a little bit better on. Yep. Um, I can't see too many other games that would probably be better if you were able to flex out. Um, but, yeah, they certainly wouldn't choose this one. Yep. I've got Oakland in this one. Yeah, pretty good jersey matchup if if the Miami wear the white. and The black and white always looks pretty cool. But Buffalo and Oakland last week was all right. Um, and anyway, uh, Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, Monday Night Football, the last game of the week. Uh, Brett Hunley in prime time, always fun. Unfortunately, schedule makers can't account for injury. Uh, Detroit, I know they lost last week, and but I still thought that they they were a little bit hard done by. I thought they hung with the Steelers for a while. They they drove to the red zone a few times. They just couldn't finish drives. They looked like Kirk Cousins in the red zone last week. Just can't score touchdowns. Had to settle for field goals or, or fourth down tries and, and just fell short. I do think their defense is, is 
still good. I, like, I don't think it's as good as people made out after they shot out to a really good start this year, but they're a sneaky sort of top 15 to 18 defense, which is fine when you have Matt Stafford as your quarterback. They're actually seventh in DVOA defense, so uh, a lot of that was based off the early start that they had, but um, I definitely think uh, they're a much better team than the Packers without Aaron Rodgers, and they'll win this game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't think the Packers have much hope behind Brett Hunley. Um, you know, Detroit, I mean, you take away that 97-yarder uh, to our newly found man crush uh, the other day. This was a really competitive game that the Detroit Lions could have easily come out on the right side of. So, um, you yeah, they're know, one, they're one of those teams that, you know, their record probably uh, doesn't illustrate just how good they have been. Um, Stafford's been a really handy uh, quarterback this year. Uh, I know he gets a lot of flack, but, yeah, I'll go Detroit in this one. All right, and that uh, wraps up the show. Before we let uh, you go, Scott, where can people uh, follow you on Twitter? And a big thank you for uh, guest hosting the show. And um, if uh, Woot is unavailable next week, it would be an honour to have you back on again next week. Um, I'm flattered. You can find me on Twitter at Sportrepreneur. It's very hard to spell, as I always say, but I'm sure you'll see me hanging around on plenty of Wooten Y posts, and obviously you'll do a fair bit of advertising yep. uh, with my handle. Follow me if you enjoy looking at pictures of pugs uh, and really bad NFL takes. Yep, and uh, worse AFL takes as well. Um, Scott, thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk soon. We shall. Enjoy week nine, everybody. Thanks for listening to another installment of the Wooten Y Show. Check out previous episodes at WootenY.com and on iTunes. And follow each of the boys on Twitter at ThisIsWoot and at JYNFL. Or you can follow the podcast at WootenY.